You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the New Testament, from Acts chapter 9. We will read from verses 1 to 22. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. The Lord said to Ananias, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem? among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. So the text for the sermon this morning is 1 Samuel 24, continuing with our series on the life of David. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel 
and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. And David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the king! And Saul looked behind him. David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good you did to me, the The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul, and Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Beloved Congregation of Christ, as you know, the Bible is full of wonderful promises. And one of those promises has to do with thrones and kingdoms. Matthew 25, 34, the Lord Jesus speaks of those who will hear the king say, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. Inherit the kingdom. Wonderful. And in 2 Timothy 2.12, the Apostle Paul 
writes that those who persevere will reign with Christ. In Revelation 5, just to take one last passage, the Apostle John hears a song which sings of believers reigning on the earth, reigning with Jesus. God promises a throne to all who believe in Christ. However, we're told in Scripture that this throne is a future reality. We share in Christ's anointing. We have been anointed as kings, but we do not yet reign with Christ. That's something that's still in the future. We're on a pilgrimage, a journey, a path to the throne. And what does that path look like? And how do we travel this path? Our text answers those questions. It does so as it speaks about David and as David points to Christ, the one whose anointing we share. And so I preach to you God's word this morning with the theme, God reveals the path to the throne. And we'll see that it is a path, first of all, strewn with temptation, second, traveled through righteousness, and then finally, paved with invincibility. Last week, we considered 1 Samuel 17 and the death of Goliath. After that momentous event, David went on to become somewhat of a celebrity in Israel. Naturally, he became famous for what had happened. David went on to become a decorated soldier, and whatever battle he fought, he won. David developed a reputation, a reputation that began to weigh on the king, on Saul. Not just once, but several times, Saul went so far as to try and kill David. As a result, David became a hunted man, and he always lived with one eye over his shoulder. In chapter 18, Saul tried to kill David. In chapter 19, he tried to kill David. In chapter 20, Jonathan received confirmation from his father Saul that he was set on killing David. And it goes on and on. Saul was madly obsessed with taking David down. And that brings us to the end of chapter 23, right before our text. There at the end of chapter 23, Saul has David surrounded. It looked like it was all over for David. And then suddenly, out of the blue, came this report. A report that the Philistines had invaded the land. And Saul's pursuit of David gets called off. He goes off to fight the Philistines, to ward off their invasion, and David lives another day. So chapter 24 begins with Saul returning from this pursuit of the Philistines. We're not told what happened there. We can assume that it was successful. And then things pick up where they left off as a report comes to Saul of David's whereabouts. David is reported to be in the area of En Gedi. En Gedi is an oasis on the western shore of the Dead Sea. It's a rugged wilderness area. A lot of caves. Great place to hide out if somebody's chasing after you. And Saul responds to the report by choosing 3,000 of his best soldiers. You have to understand, this is the ancient equivalent of a special forces unit. And they're on a search and destroy mission. 
Their orders are simple. Find David and neutralize him. Take him out. They arrive in the general area and they find some sheep pens. Nearby, near those sheep pens, is a cave. And though Saul is the commander-in-chief, he still has regular bodily needs. And so he goes into the mouth of the cave to take a bathroom break. Obviously, this is an important detail in our text. Obviously, a squatting man is in a vulnerable position. And little does he know that deeper in that cave, that same cave, is the very quarry which he's been pursuing. David and his men had been hiding out at the back of the cave, and now the proverbial hunter becomes the hunted. David's men encourage him to take the full tactical advantage. And they know what gets to the heart of David. They know that the Word of God means a lot to him. And so they appeal to what God had said. God said that He was going to give the enemy into David's hand and then David could do what seemed good to him. Now the opportunity was here. You can hear them there in the cave. Come on, David. Your enemy is squatting. He's totally focused on something else. Here's your chance to stop running. Take the throne that's rightfully yours. We won't have to live in caves anymore and spend our lives on the run. We can get back to our wives and kids. Come on, David. This is it. And David gets it. He sees it. This is the day. This is the day his men and him have been waiting for. So quietly, like a mouse, David sneaks up on Saul as he's squatting and doing his business. He takes his dagger. And his, his men are watching eagerly. And remember, they're at the back of the cave and Saul is at the mouth. And so they see the silhouette. The silhouette of Saul hunched over. And David slowly, slowly, quietly creeping up. And you can imagine their anticipation as, as David kneels and, and lifts his dagger and then does nothing. Nothing except cut off a corner of Saul's robe. What? David, are you okay? Are you, are you thinking straight? You blew it. You blew it for all of us. But David doesn't see it that way. You see, David has a conscience. And his conscience, literally it says in the Hebrew, that his conscience smacked him and told him that this was not the way to go. Slicing a piece of a king's robe was not as bad as killing the man, certainly. But it was still the wrong thing to do. In the ancient Near East, chopping off part of a king's robe could have been regarded as rebellious. And so David speaks to his men and he says that the Lord, Yahweh, would not be pleased with this. Saul is still the anointed of Yahweh. He's still David's master. And so David is not permitted to raise his hand against him. The fifth commandment. 
The fifth commandment means that we are to respect and honor those who are in authority over us. Even if they try to hunt us down, even if they try to kill us, whatever wrong they do to us, we still honor them, respect them. David understands that. And so he refuses to allow his men to rush out and do what David himself didn't have the audacity to do. In fact, in verse 7, we're told that David rebuked his men. Literally, in Hebrew, it says that David tore them apart. He ragged them out and told them that they had no business touching Saul despite everything he'd done. And they obeyed David. And Saul finished his bathroom break and went his way. Do you see the temptation that came across David's path. Here he spent all this energy serving Saul, serving the people of Israel. David had been a trusted soldier, always faithful. And he even married Saul's daughter, Michal. But what did he get for it? Did he get medals on his chest? No. Saul tried to put metal through his chest. Saul tried to spear him on any number of occasions. He was chased and hunted. He had a death sentence hanging over his head. Meanwhile, God had promised him the throne of Israel. David had been anointed by Samuel to be the next king. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. David knew it was coming. He just didn't know when or how. And then an opportunity presented itself. Was this the way that God was leading him to the throne? Saul in the mouth of the cave, was that providence? Or was that a temptation? David realized that it was indeed a temptation. He was being presented with the opportunity to take a shortcut, get the throne without the suffering, Get the throne without having to wait. Get the throne without having to endure any more of Saul's persecutions. Now it's true that David began to give in to this temptation. His knees were dirty from sneaking up on Saul. He had the corner of Saul's robe in his hand. But he didn't go all the way. Didn't take the shortcut that presented itself. He resisted. Ultimately did the right thing. However, David was not totally faithful in resisting the temptation to take the shortcut to the throne. There was obedience. But you can't get away from the fact that it was obedience stained with sin. David was the anointed of Yahweh, Messiah, but he was not the Messiah. He could not be the one who would crush the head of the serpent. Years later, the great son of David was led into the rugged wilderness to face a similar temptation. He was presented with an opportunity to take a shortcut to the throne. Of course, we know it was all a mirage, a lie. But yet the message was the same. Jesus... Do things my way, 
And you can have it all and rule right now. No more suffering. No more waiting. No more humiliation. No more of this lurking in the background. You can have it all and have it now. He resisted. Unlike David, Jesus didn't even begin to contemplate wavering. His heart was entirely set on doing the right thing and following God's path to the throne. A path that is strewn not only with temptation, but also with humiliation and suffering. Brothers and sisters, look to Christ in faith again this morning. Trust in Him. Rest in Him. He was perfectly obedient. And the Gospel tells us that it was on our behalf. Likewise, the Gospel tells us that He went to the cross and took our place there too, enduring the wrath of God against our sin. Against my sin and yours. Loved ones, He lived and He died for us. For people who so often grow impatient, who love to take shortcuts. Tertullian is one of the early church fathers. Tertullian once said, every sin is to be ascribed to impatience. Think about that. Every sin is to be ascribed to impatience. It's true, isn't it? We want it all and we want it now. And that holds true for little things, but it can also hold true for the most important things in life. Martin Luther often contrasted a theology of glory with a theology of the cross. Our human nature wants glory and wants it now. Our pride tells us, and our our culture supports that, undergirds it, cheers us on. Our pride tells us that we have a right to be exalted now. That's a theology of glory. But Christ's way to the throne is is different. Christ's way to the throne is not a theology of glory, climbing our way up to God higher and higher in this life. Theology of the cross is something totally different. Through humility and suffering to glory. The way up is the way down. The the last shall be first. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus told us to take up our crosses and follow Him. He didn't say take up your thrones. Take up your cross and follow Him. He warned us that the way which leads to life would be difficult. The apostles said, we enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations. But there will be temptations to take the shortcut. But look to Christ. Know that all of your sins and all of your giving in to this temptation, it's all covered. It's all been taken care of. Look to Christ. And then also live out of your union with Him. Resist the temptation to seize glory in this life. 
Don't listen to the world. Listen to Christ. Follow His path. David, David follows Saul out of the cave and he calls out to him, My Lord, O King! And Saul looks behind him and no doubt he was shocked at what he saw. He saw David stretched out on the ground. Now a moment ago, Saul was vulnerable, although he didn't intend to be. Now Saul, uh, David rather makes himself vulnerable in front of Saul. And he begins with a question. Why? Why do you listen to the people who are telling you that I have it in for you? God gave you into my hands today in the cave. There were voices telling me to go ahead and and kill you. But I resisted because you are the anointed of Yahweh. And look, I have the corner of your robe in my hand to prove how close you were to death. But I didn't do it. I'm not guilty of any wrongdoing against you. You've been hunting me down. But I trust that God will be the judge between us. I'll never harm you because that ancient proverb was right. Evil deeds proceed from evil men. And then in verses 14 and 15, he puts the question again to Saul. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting me? I'm like a dead dog or a single flea. I've never shown any intention to to, to hurt you. May God judge. May God vindicate. May God deliver me from your hand. And in these words of David, we hear righteousness. The desire to loyally follow God's law. Where does this righteousness come from? David trusted in God's promises. Now for an Old Testament believer, that's the same as believing in Jesus Christ. Resting and trusting in Him. David lived out of faith. David was filled with the Holy Spirit. We read that a couple weeks ago. The Holy Spirit came upon him in power. And it was through his union with Christ by faith and by the Spirit that David did what was right here. That he spoke words of truth and righteousness. David knows that the path to the throne of glory is traveled through righteousness. That's exemplified most powerfully in the ministry of Christ here on earth. He was the perfectly righteous man who lived righteousness, who spoke righteousness. Jesus Christ was the one who was publicly vindicated by His Father. At his baptism, the voice was heard, This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. At his transfiguration, Peter, James, and John clearly heard God say it again. This is my Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Listen to Him. This was and is a perfectly righteous Savior. Saul pursued David for no good reason. Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. Years later, another Saul would be born in the tribe of Benjamin. Like his forefather with David, 
Saul of Tarsus would persecute the son of David for no good reason. He simply had a mad obsession to destroy Christ and His message. And Jesus would stop Saul on the road to Damascus and echo the words of his father David. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? But unlike Saul, the son of Kish, Saul of Tarsus had his eyes opened to the, to recognize the kingship of Jesus. And he submitted to it. The great son of David poured out amazing blessings on this Saul. Through God's powerful spirit and word, Saul became Paul the Christian, and Paul the Apostle. And he became a mighty instrument in God's hand to preach the Gospel and to extend his church throughout the Roman world. And Paul, in turn, became one of the persecuted. It was already mentioned to to Ananias that the Lord had shown him how many things he was going to suffer. Like in our text, the hunter became the hunted. He entered into the sufferings of Jesus and traveled the same path to the throne. Paul did so with sin and weakness, but also in righteousness. In the righteousness of Jesus, which bore the fruit of righteousness in his own life. And so it will also be in the lives of everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Looking to Christ... Embracing His perfect righteousness means that our lives will bear the fruit of righteousness too. That, again, I can't stress that enough. That's because of our union with Him. What does that look like in practical terms? Sounds a little bit theoretical, doesn't it? Well, if you want one example of what it looks like in practical terms, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 12. Romans 12, verses 14 to 21. Remember, these words are written by Paul the Apostle, who had persecuted Jesus. This is what he says in verse 14 of Romans 12, going to verse 21. Bless those who persecute you, Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And there we have a 
indeed a practical example of how to live out of our union with Christ. Well, after David finished his address, Saul responded. He asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And then he began weeping. For a moment, he realized the insanity of what he'd been doing. He acknowledged the fact that David had been in the right. Saul had treated David badly, but David did not respond in kind. Whoever heard of a man doing such a thing? He expresses his wish that God would reward David for what he'd done. And then interestingly, he acknowledges that David's path to the throne is invincible. David cannot be stopped. In chapter 23, Jonathan, Saul's son, comes to David at Horash and encourages him to find strength in God. And he says, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. Saul would try to lay his hands on David, but he would never succeed. Like the later Saul, he was kicking against the goads, resisting the inevitable. David was headed for the throne, and the gates of hell could not prevail against him. And even though Saul later went back to his ruthless pursuit of David, at this moment he gets it right. And he speaks a word of truth. God spoke through the mouth of Balaam's donkey. And now he speaks through David's enemy. David will surely be king, and the kingdom will be established in his hands. Likewise, Jesus traveled the path to the throne with the invincible promise of God paving the way. God had promised to crush the head of the serpent. God had promised that the scepter would not depart from Judah until he came and took it up. And today, Jesus reigns over heaven and earth as the King of kings and Lord of lords. John, the apostle, hears the seventh angel say in Revelation 11, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and He will reign forever and ever. He reigns. His reign is not yet recognized by all, but someday it will be. His kingdom is invincible. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be resisted. It cannot be thwarted. King Jesus reigns, and no one can stand in His way. And here again, think of your union with Him by faith. Because we are in Him, because we have union with Him, we can be sure that our path to the throne, our path to glory, though it travels through suffering and humiliation, though it is a path characterized by taking up your cross, yet it is an invincible path. We have a doctrine of grace called the perseverance of the saints. It's a wonderful biblical doctrine. Unfortunately, the name Perseverance of the Saints, it's not the best name. It's the name that's popularly given to it. It makes it sound like perseverance. 
Remember, perseverance is sticking with it till the end. It makes it sound like perseverance is something that the saints, that the believers do on their own. It's better to call it the preservation of the saints. Placing emphasis on the fact that this is God's doing. That it is indeed a doctrine of grace. Preservation of the saints. God preserves believers in the Christian faith and leads them to the throne, leads them inevitably onward and upward to the glory that will be ours in the age to come. Now this doctrine of the preservation of the saints or perseverance of the saints is found in the canons of Dort. And there are many beautiful statements in the canons of Dort. But one of the most beautiful is found in Article 8 of Chapter 5. We confess there that God's counsel cannot be changed. His promise cannot fail. The calling according to His purpose cannot be revoked. The merit, intercession, and preservation of Christ cannot be nullified. And the sealing of the Holy Spirit can neither be frustrated or destroyed. Awesome, isn't it? Similarly, the Belgic Confession says in Article 26, another beautiful statement, there is no creature in heaven or on earth who loves us more than Jesus Christ. There is no creature in heaven or on earth who loves us more than Jesus Christ. Since He loves us, we can be sure that He will govern us by His Word and Spirit that He will defend and preserve us in the redemption obtained for us. Loved ones, isn't it great to know that? Isn't it great to have these doctrines of grace that assure us of God's love and power for us? Praise God. Praise God that we have His invincible power paving the path to the throne. Our passage concludes with Saul begging David to swear an oath that David would not cut off Saul's descendants and his family when he would finally attain the throne. As we continue in this series on David, we're going to come back to this oath. This oath, there's there's stuff that follows on this later on in David's life. For now, notice, just notice now that that David agrees. He, He swears an oath by Yahweh to his enemy, to the man who'd been trying to kill him. Again, he does good to Saul, his enemy. Then they go their separate ways. David returns to his, or Saul returns to his home, but David goes back to his stronghold. So David has done right by Saul, and there seems to be some measure of reconciliation. David knows better. He still doesn't quite trust Saul. And for good reason, we would say. Because if you've read the following chapters, you know that Saul continues to try to kill David. Seems like an endless uphill battle for David. But in the end, despite Saul's mad obsession with killing his successor, God keeps his promise. And David attains the throne. God keeps His promises and the son of David received the scepter of Judah 
He attained the throne in His time. And in due time, we too, we will reign with King Jesus. Guaranteed. It's guaranteed to all who believe in Him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Your promises are so rich to us, so precious. They're more valuable to us than diamonds and gold and all earthly riches. We would rather have You than any of that. Our hearts desire nothing besides You. Your promises strengthen and encourage us. Your promises lead us outside of ourselves to You, the God of grace and glory. Your promises point us to Jesus Christ, our Savior and King. We thank You for His reign over all things, also for His reign over our lives. We thank You that He traveled Your path to the throne, that He did not turn to the right hand or to the left, that He took no shortcuts, but faithfully followed Your way. We give You glory, O God. We magnify Your glory because of what Christ has done for us and in our place. Help us to rest and trust in Him. Help us also to live out of our union with Him and so travel the path that You have set for us to reach the glory You promise in Your Word. We pray that You would bring each one of us to reign with King Jesus over all creatures in the age to come. In the meantime, please help us with Your Word and Spirit to fight against sin and the devil with a free and good conscience. We pray in the name of our King, Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.